Good morning. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. We're going to be looking at uh, Mary Magdalene this morning. Luke 8, verse 1. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. Okay. We're going to look at three passages this morning. There's not a lot about Mary Magdalene, but there's enough to uh, get a good idea of what kind of a woman she was. And uh, our theme this morning is going to be sanctification. That $10 theological word. And I want to this morning demystify that word, sanctification. A holiness, that's another one. They come from the same root. And I want to humanize that, that word, that idea. Sanctify, sanctification, holiness, consecrate, saint. All those words come from the same root word. And yet I think we, we lose sight of what God has in mind when he uses those terms in the Bible. Uh, we first meet them in the Old Testament when God is talking about the utensils in the tabernacle. They were sanctified or consecrated. The idea being, in fact, we, have, we all learn this as, as soon as we're Christians, one of the first things we learn that uh, the two-word definition for sanctify is to what? Set apart. That's right, set apart. I'm all for short definitions, but sometimes we lose something when we do that. And we do in that case. There's a lot more in, in the uh, idea that God has in mind than there are in those two words set apart. But it's a good starting point. So in the case of the utensils, whether it be shovels or cups or bowls, um, they were set apart. That is the gold and bronze and silver utensils that were made for the tabernacle were meant to be used only for the tabernacle and service to God. They were not to be used in a profane way. Uh, in other words, for common use, everyday use. They were set apart for use for God only. That's easy to understand, right? Okay. Um, they were consecrated. They were dedicated. Another word that's often used is devoted. They were holy. All those words talking about the same idea. Now, people can be consecrated or sanctified also. Aaron uh, and uh, the, the Levitical priests were set apart, sanctified, dedicated to the service of God. That was their whole life. That was their job. So they were set apart 
the other Jews were merchants and, uh, you know, farmers and shopkeepers and who knows what all. But the Levites and, and, uh, and Aaron were set apart solely to serve the Lord in the tabernacle and later the temple. Sanctified, holy, set apart. Okay, so far so good. In fact, Aaron um, had a wonderful little uh, gold plate, solid gold, on the turban that he wore, the high priest, and it said, holiness to the Lord, right there. And it, and it, and it uh, hung down by a chain and it was right on his forehead. Constant reminder to him and to the people of Israel that he was holy. They were a holy people. Uh, ultimately, they were all set apart for God. They were his own special people set apart from the other nations. You tracking so far? Holiness, sanctification. We're familiar with that. Uh, just a side note, by the way, one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament is in Zechariah. It's a prophecy of what it's going to be like in the millennium. Listen to what it says. God says, in that day, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Now listen to this. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. Isn't that cool? What God is saying that in that time, there's not going to be the profane and the religious. Everything and everyone is going to be just totally devoted to the Lord. Isn't that great? So you're not going to have this distinction. Nothing's going to be set apart from something. <clears throat> Everything's going to be 100% to the Lord. Holiness to the Lord. Well, in the New Testament now, uh, God carries this concept in. And uh, we are, first of all, positionally sanctified. That is set apart uh, as believers now, the church. We are a sanctified people, set apart. And it's not too hard to think about the bowls and say, well, yeah, okay, I'm like the bowl. I'm set apart for God's use. Do you understand? Isn't that cool? You know? Um, but then practically, we're commanded to be holy as well. First uh, Peter, in Hebrews, it says that we're to pursue holiness. Run after it, you know, like a great prize. I think you'll agree with me that too often, though, we lose sight of the fuller sense of, of the ideas of holiness and sanctification. And we think about when you hear the word holy. Oh, yeah, that means separate from sin. We, we, we focus on the negative, you know, holiness. Yeah, not associated with sin. And we lose the, the main idea, which is we're set apart to God. Okay, it's both. We uh, we have uh, envelopes, manila envelopes that uh, we use out at the lab to uh, send interdepartmental information uh, in, and it says on an official use only. Okay, you you can't put uh, your letter to your your mother or whatever in this envelope and mail it. It's only for use inside the lab and for official use. Well, that's the idea, except we have a, a sign that says for Jesus use only. Or we should. 
So it's that positive aspect, I think, that we often lose sight of. So that's why whenever I uh, think of the word sanctified or, or holy, I like one of the words that's used in the Old Testament better because in the English it also carries a good sense. And the word is devoted. Devoted. God uses that word in the Old Testament. And we, when we use the word devoted, when you say you're devoted, now that carries a lot more to it, doesn't it? it talks about affection. If you're devoted to someone, isn't that good? That's the element that's often missing when we talk about sanctification. But that's the heart of it. Now, it's interesting. Uh, people don't, a lot of people don't realize this. Jesus set the example on being sanctified himself. He says in John 17 in his high priestly prayer, just before he was arrested, he said, for their sakes, I sanctify myself. You think about Jesus sanctifying himself. People have I can see the little question mark up here in some of you. How can Jesus be sanctified? I mean, he's not a sinner. That's right. He's not talking about that. He's not saying I'm separating myself from sin for their sakes. He has no interest in sin. He never did. He never will. He's saying, I am reserved. I am uh, using my life for their purposes, not for myself. That's what he's saying. Isn't that great? I think Jesus has a lot better things to do with his life than think about me, don't you? But that's what he's saying. He had a life to live and he could have done so many other things. But he says, for my sake, for your sake, he set himself apart just for you, for you, just to serve you and in particular to die for your sins. Isn't that great? Wow. His body, his time, his life devoted solely to you and me in pleasing his father, certainly. So. That's the sense I want us to carry with us this morning because you see it in the life of Mary Magdalene. That's the point. Uh, some of the best verses on sanctification and holiness uh, don't even use the word. Let me give you an example. Romans six thirteen. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Did you, did you follow that? And the members, he's not talking about members of a church. He's talking about your, your, your hands, you know, your feet, your, your lips, your ears, your eyes. Those are the members he's talking about individually. He, he, he's talking about our body parts here. That's the members. And he says, look, don't yield them up to sin. Hand them to God. Let him use them. There it is. That's sanctification. Consecration. Our bodies become like the Old Testament shovels and cups and bowls. Later, uh, in the same book, Romans, you know this very well. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice to God. Holy, there he uses the word, uh, ex- acceptable, which is your reasonable service. Reasonable. In other words, it only makes sense. But my favorite is 2 Corinthians. Paul says it so beautifully. 
He says, the love of Christ constrains us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead. And that he died for all. That they which live should live henceforth no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Isn't that good? I love that. He's, I, I love, he's, uh, we thus judge. What he's saying is, uh, I, I'm going to logic this out. I'm going to reason this out. Let me think a second here. Jesus died for me. I'm, I'm as good as dead. I should have died. But I didn't. He did. So I got a new lease on life. What am I going to do with that new life? Well, it only makes sense to me that I live for him. That's, that's a paraphrase of 2 Corinthians 5. Consecration, sanctification. But notice, it's the love of Christ. That's the starting point. The love that he has for me. It's living in light of that. So um, that brings us to Mary Magdalene. She lived a holy life in that sense. Sanctification, therefore, as you think about it, begins with love. It starts there. Our love for him, his love for us. And then we live in light of that. Too often we try to turn it the other way around. What did Jesus say? Did he say, if you keep my commandments, you love me? He said, if you love me, you will what? Ah, love first. If you love me, he said, you will keep my commandments. That's the starting point. That's the kind of life that God has been looking for since creation. (laughs) It, It shouldn't surprise us any, you know. All he simply wants is us to love him beyond everything else. And in light of that love, give ourselves to him for his use only. That's sanctification. And we'll see it in the life of Mary. We began here in this section in Luke 18, very brief section. uh, And we're going to notice three things about her sanctification. Or I'm going to use the word devotion. I like that word better. Her devotion was marked, number one, by selfless giving. First of all, uh, we really, we don't have the story of her conversion. We just have this backward hint, a couple of places, where it just says that she was the one from, from whom Jesus cast out seven demons. Can you imagine? Let's just pause it. What do you think her life must have been like? You remember Legion, right? He had more than one demon. Think about what his life was like. We know it because God described his life for us. The guy lived in the graveyard. They chained him so he couldn't get out. He cut himself with the rocks. He, He screamed and cried out day and night. Can you imagine? He was tormented. Well, her life had to have been something like that. She had seven demons. What a tortured existence. And along comes Jesus. And now, like uh, Legion, she's seated and in her right mind. She is a, a new woman. And uh, she goes to that same logical process that Paul did and says, you know, I, I was as good as dead. Suddenly now, this man comes along and, and I have life. I, I'm alive. What am I going to do with that life? 
You know what? I think a good thing to do would just be to live for him. Good idea. And that's what she does. Selfless giving. Uh, generally, she's listed first when they have a list like this. What was she doing? Well, uh, it says that she, among the others, was giving from her substance. Do you ever wonder, by the way, how the disciples ate and, uh, you know, had money to buy things when they needed it? They were supported. And uh, throughout the scriptures, there is this group of women, at least up in Galilee, the northern province, who, whenever they were there, they basically took care of them. God laid it on their hearts. And chief among them was Mary Magdalene. So uh, she's seated in the right mind. I, I would imagine uh, she does something now, to, you know, to earn a living. By the way, there's a very good chance that she lived in a little village called Magdala. You'll see it if you look in your uh, maps, uh, Palestine or Israel in the time of Jesus. Right on the west coast of Galilee, there's a little town called Magdala. And so, hate to burst your bubble, but Magdalene is probably not her last name. It probably means she's Mary of Magdala. Why do I say that? Well, it was a, a thriving community because right on that, in the shore, in that area, there were these shellfish that when they ground their shells uh, to powder, it, it, it gave this beautiful deep purple dye. And so it was a thriving community because they also had sheep in the area and they would make this beautiful purple fabric. And it was known throughout the uh, Roman world at that time. So maybe she, that was her occupation. It's possible. However she earned money, she gave out of her substance. So she was giving to the Lord from her money. But I think it was more than that because notice that Jesus went to, it says he went to every city and village in Galilee. Can you imagine? Every one of them. And it says that the 12 were with him and these ladies taking care of them, so to speak. Their daily needs. Maybe fixing meals, maybe mending clothes. But certainly for for uh, Mary Magdalene, it was the only logical thing for her to do. She could have just gone her way, you know, right? Hey, now I'm a normal person. Go out, get a job, you know, eight to five and live like anybody else. But she's given her time and her talents and her money to serve the Lord. Not as outward acts to be seen by men, but from a heart of love and gratitude. She's sanctified. She has deliberately set her life apart and devoted it to Jesus now. There's holiness. Okay, uh, next passage is in John 19. Like I said, we don't have a lot of passages, but we have enough to go on. John 19, verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, who's that? John. Standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, 
Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Literally one word finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. The second thing we see about Mary Magdalene's devotion is it was greater than her fear of man. Greater than her fear of man. You remember uh, from the other accounts and earlier in John, all the other disciples had fled. It says they forsook him and fled. They were afraid for good reason. In fact, uh, it's such a significant event in the ministry of Christ that it was prophesied in the Old Testament in Zechariah. Smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And that's exactly what happened. Why were they scattered? (laughs) Because their religious leaders had cried out for his blood. He was a blasphemer, they said. And they killed him. So now picture yourself as a follower of Jesus, of this guy that they've had executed. You'll be like Peter, you know. Peter followed at a distance for a while until the, the heat got turned up. Remember, you know, you're 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 one of his, right? No, 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 not me. You're thinking of somebody else until he he got to the point where he denied even knowing Jesus with curses. I'm not criticizing the guy, but you can see the pressure there was to just dissociate yourself from the Lord. Even the women. Now, what's interesting to me is in Matthew. uh It talks about the group, the same group of women from Galilee, by the way, and they're all named, including Mary Magdalene. And it says there that to begin with, they were watching from afar, including Mary Magdalene. Not now. Something happened. And out of that group of ladies, she left and came right up to the cross. Is that interesting? Now, why do you think she did that? I think it was her devotion. First of all, it was natural. She traveled with these other ladies regularly. They'd served the Lord throughout his ministry. So they're all going to just kind of, you know, keep at a safe distance and watch the crucifixion uh, safely. I have a feeling that as she saw the Lord there dying... She didn't want to be out of sight. I think she wanted him to see her standing there right next to him while he died. And so she left that crowd and went up. And by the way, this is a small little cluster here of just four people of faithful followers. The vast majority of the people, remember, are mocking, spitting, You know, you saved others, but you can't save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. That's what's going on. And now you go in the middle of that crowd and 
you have tears in your eyes and you're obviously sorrowing, you're kind of a marked person. You kind of stand out. You know what I mean? And who knows uh, who might have been among the authorities taking note, you know? Who else is associated with this guy? The point is, this was not a small thing for her to go up there. Understandably, uh, Jesus' mother was there. She's in her 50s now, mourning for her son. And her sister is probably there to comfort her. It's interesting that out of all the disciples, John is here. And I think it's because of his love of the Lord. I think he counted the cost, you know. And I, I think he, he mentally came to the conclusion, uh, yeah, something might happen to me, but I love the Lord. And again, you know, I'd, I'd want to be there if I had that kind of a heart where the Lord could see me to the end. You know, here I am, Lord, right to the end, not way off, you know, in the distance. Just my, sometimes your presence can, can comfort someone, you know. Well, Mary was part of that. His opinion, Jesus' opinion, mattered more to her than the opinion of those around her. Is that true of you? Is that true of me? The opinion of Jesus, is that more important to you than the opinion of anybody else? Should be. It's a mark of true uh, sanctification, holiness. Okay, well, the uh, last passage, very familiar, is right here in chapter 20 on the resurrection morning. Chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, he was crucified on Friday. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Well, Peter and, and John, as you know, have a foot race to the tomb. John reminds us that he won. But then, typical of Peter, when they get there, John stops at the door and Peter rushes in. And uh, they look around. They don't know what to make of things. And so they leave. Verse 10, then the disciples went away again to their own homes. That's too bad. If only they'd stayed a little bit longer. But they didn't. But someone did. And that's Mary. Verse 11. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. She didn't know where she going to go. You see, this is the last known place where Jesus was. And so that's where she wants to be. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. 
Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Third mark of her devotion. She had such a desire to be with the Lord. It was so great that her life was empty without him. She could say with Paul, for me to live is Christ. David wrote those great words in the Psalms. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. That's holiness. You say, well, wait a minute. What about separation from sin? (laughs) You got a heart like that. The rest will take care of itself. Okay. If you have a heart that beats like that, like Mary and like David, you're just going to shun anything that displeases the one you love. That's that's real holiness. While he was alive, she only wished to be with him, speak to him, hear him, serve him. That's what she did. Now that he's dead, remember, she doesn't know about the resurrection yet. None of them did. They'd heard it. But as he says here, they didn't grasp it. They didn't understand it. So he's dead and gone as far as she's concerned. So now that he's dead, what is she going to do with herself? Well, she's going to prepare his body for burial. It's like the last service. And that's why she's noticed so distraught. She, she got up early. before It was still dark. But there was one more thing she could do for the Lord. And she had her heart so set on it that she probably didn't even sleep, you know. And she got up before it was dark and went there to do this last act of service. So that's why she's so distraught. And she runs to Peter and John, you know, I don't know what to do. He's gone. Uh, it's wonderful. Weeping, she says, they have taken away my Lord. Isn't that good? They have taken away my, personalized, my Lord. Later, when she talks to Jesus as the gardener, she never uses a name. She's him. She keeps saying him. If you've taken him away, you know, it's understood who I'm talking about. There's only one. But uh, I'll tell you, one of the most poignant words in the Bible is that one in verse 16. Of all the ways Jesus could have brought her to her senses and revealed himself to her. You know, he could have said, hey, I'm no gardener. You know, or don't you recognize me? He says her name. One word. Mary. Isn't that good? Mary. 
And it was that calling of her name that brought the recognition to her. That voice was so familiar. And to be saying her name. I don't think we'll be able to grasp the the joy that she had. Can you imagine? She had already begun to deal with the idea that she'd never hear his voice again. Very soon she's never going to see him again. That's it. Dead and gone. (laughs) How did she feel when she hears him call her by name? Wow. It's interesting that God breaks off the narrative and he doesn't say what she did. We learn what she did by the words of Jesus. Because he says, stop clinging to me. She doesn't want to lose him again. You know? What's wonderful here, Jesus is not being rude to her when he says stop clinging. Because he goes on to say, I'm going to my father and your father and my God and your God. He knows something she doesn't know. And that is uh, that she now has a permanent relationship with him, as we do. That's never going to stop as a child of God. And in fact, not right now, but someday he's going away right now, but he's going to come back and he's going to take her along with us to be with him forever. I think that'd be too much for her to take in right now, you know, but she's going to learn that later as the Holy Spirit brings back the words of Jesus to the disciples when he had said those words uh, back in chapter 14, you know, the last night of the night of his betrayal. How precious those words must have been to her, you know. We don't know what happened uh, to I don't know if she lived another 30 years, because if she did, uh, she probably ultimately would have gotten wind of uh, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, where he talks about the return of the Lord. And he ends with these words. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. How precious they would have been to her if she had. What's wonderful here is uh, she has the marvelous privilege of announcing the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the disciples <laughs> because of her devotion. Isn't that great? Now, it turns out that there were actually other women present at the time. We know that from the other Gospels then why does God do it this way in John where he only talks about her? And in fact, the, the conversation is clearly between the Lord and Mary. Why, when God only has a precious 30-odd pages to, to write the Gospel of John, stressing the deity of Christ, does he devote so much space to this apparently confused interaction between a distraught woman and Jesus You know why? It's to set her forth as an example of devotion to you and to me. That's why. To her, as it should be to us, sterile uh, sanctification was not a sterile theological term. It described love for the one who gave his life for her. And now it meant everything to her. We're going to close with a hymn. We sing it often. I want you to think about the words. It's going to be 548. As we sing it, think about it. 
Think about two things. How would Mary have sung this hymn? Think about that. But then, also, as you sing it, think about how you sing it. 